0: Welcome to Rowdy Southern Saturday. We're excited to roll out the same great show you've been enjoying for the past two years under this new name. Thank you for continuing to support us and our love for college football. Let's get rowdy. So, right out the gate, how is everybody feeling about the four teams that were selected to the playoff? Did they get it right?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think they did. I mean, if you look at who they left out, obviously, number five ended up being 10-2 Alabama. Personally, I would have had Tennessee above Alabama. Honestly, at the end of the day, I understand why they didn't because of the whole Hinton Hooker injury. South Carolina blows out uh, Tennessee at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, Alabama, you know, I'd say they had a case to maybe slide in above – TCU or Ohio State, I mean, Nick Saban came on Fox and gave some good reasoning as well, talking about what who would be favored over Alabama um, in the top four. And honestly, there's probably maybe one, maybe two teams that would be. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, the games have to matter in the regular season. That's one thing that I always say I hate about the 12-team playoff coming up is it completely diminishes having two or three losses because at the end, if this were to happen next year uh, or in two years, whenever they're going to change it, Three or four losses, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to get in if you're Alabama. Uh, Tennessee is probably going to be the same way. USC, that conference championship game against Utah, really wouldn't have mattered as much for USC. Um, Utah would have gotten in. Kansas State would have gotten in this weekend. So a couple good things would happen. There's some pros and cons, of course. But end of the day, one loss Ohio State, one loss TCU who lost their conference championship game to Kansas State by three in overtime. And uh, undefeated Georgia, undefeated Michigan. I think that's – That's what you wanted, top four, right there.
2: Yeah, top four was right on the money. I think you know, I I thought that Alabama's only hope was TCU losing by a lot against Kansas State, and there would still be the discussion that hey, they beat that team already, and they lost that, and then they lost that game, so they have one loss. Uh, Alabama still has two losses. Maybe they. Drop TCU down to four who really knows but the way that I saw it going into it was you can't punish a team like TCU for playing an extra game they went 12-0 and in the regular season they had an extra game on their schedule they could have lost that game by 30 and in my mind they still should have been in uh to me it was like you know it, it, the real discussion is in the room should have been more of, all right, well, Ohio State versus Alabama, and Ohio State had the better resume. They had better wins, and they only had one loss. So, uh, overall, their strength of record was a little better. Alabama obviously had the tougher strength of schedule, but it is what it is. You know, uh, this is the second time in the playoff era that I've not really cared about the playoff. I haven't had a vested interest in the playoff. So, um, it's, it's, it's painful, but it's also a little bit – you know, I'm a little spoiled. I'm I'm very spoiled, might I add. Uh, that, that I get to say that this is only the second time in the college football playoff history that I've been like, Oh yeah, who cares?
3: I can't imagine how hard that must be for you, Matt, to to sit back and look at your team and go, Oh goodness, ten and two, what a down year that is for us. You know, we <laughs> lost two games but I could find four points. How horrible that is.
2: It really yeah. does suck. I'm on I'm not gonna lie. It's, I, I feel like it's way worse. It's way worse to be that good and then just not be,
3: yeah. <laughs> Some of us don't get that luxury, but um, I'm gonna have to eat crow after what I said last week. I, you know, I came on here and I said if TCU loses, I think TCU is out. Um, boy, was I wrong. Um, and and I think honestly, kind of as the week progressed last week, after I said that, I wish I hadn't said that because, you know, frankly, it's like Matt just said, you can't punish you can't punish Texas Christian for playing in the big 12 title game you know that's the value of the regular season in college football um the 12 team playoff that we're going to you know it's really it's really going to devalue everything that happens in the regular season and conference championship week but that's a conversation for another day you know this conversation is about did they get it right and i'm frankly i think they got it right you know there's no punishment in line for for tcu because they lost the game in overtime to you know, even though they're a three-loss team, I think Kansas State's a quality team. I think that young quarterback is, kid's really impressive, um, and, and Max Duggan played his heart out. And you you can't you can't punish the Horn Frogs for that. Um, you know, as far as Michigan and Georgia goes, they were never going to be out no matter what happened. It didn't matter what LSU or Purdue did to put up any kind of fight against either of them. Um, Michigan and Georgia were clearly one and two all year, or at least in the conversation being the top four all year. Um, and as far as Ohio State goes, you know, USC lost. And it's as simple as that. You know, I, I think a healthy I think a healthy Caleb Williams in that game, if he was anywhere close to being 75%, because I don't even think he was three-quarters of the way there uh, with his health. But, I mean, it's just – it is what it is. You know, you lose two games, you don't win your conference championship, um, you're out. And Kyle Whittingham, let's raise a glass to Kyle Whittingham. I mean, how about that? Two years in a row, just – Making sure the Pac-12 stays out of the college football playoff, man. Kyle Whittingham just wrecking people's dreams. So, uh, but yeah, they got it right. I, I mean, you know, I, I think the argument for Alabama was there to an extent. I know I tried to make it last week, but again, I'll admit that I was incorrect on that. And, you know, Ohio State lost one game. You know, that they, they did what they had to do. Their schedule wasn't extremely impressive, but they've got a lot of good athletes and a Heisman contender at quarterback. Um. I think, they're, I think they'll be competitive with Georgia, and I think they were the best option to be competitive with Georgia outside of, of USC, um, or at least USC was coming into the week. Um, it is now Ohio State in their place. Um, and, yeah, they had one loss compared to Alabama's too, so I don't see anything incorrect on it.
1: Yeah, uh, one question I wanted to ask you guys too, is both of y'all brought this up, um, talking about TCU um, – not being penalized for playing in that extra uh, conference championship game. USC, um, a lot of people are saying maybe they shouldn't have been penalized for playing in that extra game since they were ranked ahead of Ohio State. Going into the game, they ended up losing to Utah. Um, If they wouldn't have played in that game, I guess they would have been four. Um, and, And I'm not saying that I think that USC should have been in over Ohio State, but If TCU shouldn't have been penalized for losing their conference championship and at least moving down to four, having Ohio State jump them, then uh, what about USC?
2: Well, if you have the conversation last week, in my opinion, if you put USC and Ohio State in a bubble and you take out recency bias, you shuffle the schedule, pretty comparable. And who do you think – who has the better loss? I would say USC does. And then they get a second chance at that team and they lost again. But even worse. So, to me, context matters. Like, TCU had beaten the team that they were playing in the conference championship. So, if they lose to that team, hey, it's hard to beat a good team twice. We said it a lot. But if you lose to a team twice, once on the road by one point, okay, that's call it a fluke in the regular season. But then you get a chance to play that same team again and you get dominated by 23 on a neutral site. I can't defend you on that one. So, I understand the premise of. It, it sounds a little bit hypocritical. Five state and USC had the same exact records in the regular season. One of them didn't win their division because their only loss was to an undefeated team, the second best team in the country, and USC's loss was on the road to a to a team that they got to play that was on the other side of the in the other division. I mean, it was just like kind of one of those things. So I, I don't think one it's comparing apples and oranges in that sense um, because not every two scenarios are the same, which is where I feel like college football sometimes becomes very reactionary. Like if you think about it, and I mentioned this on our Instagram live a few years ago, Oklahoma didn't make the playoff because the big 12 didn't have a championship game. And so the final four was Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, and Washington. And So in response, the Big 12 said, hey, here's the championship game again. We're going to add that back in. It almost would have been better for the Big 12 to not have the championship game this year uh, because then you wouldn't have had to even worry about that scenario coming up. Same thing with the Pac-12. It's one of those things that we as college football fans are very reactionary, but every scenario works out a little bit differently, and so you can't make any rash decisions about anything. I just think in in conclusion, USC – Deservedly dropped because look, it, 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 part of the reason TCU didn't drop even further is because they played competitively in that game. USC did not.
3: Yeah, f- fully agree with Matt. I mean, I mean, there's really just one one simple answer to this question, and it's the fact that TCU didn't have a loss already. USC did. Um, you know, go back to what Matt was saying. Yeah, comparatively, okay, USC. USC had a better loss than Ohio State did because Ohio State got beat pretty handily at home by the team that ended up being number two. Um, And so I just I find it so hard not to roll into the whole 12 team playoff thing based off of this question, because because this question is not even going to matter in two years. And, and and to me, it, beg, it, it begs the conversation of a conversation that we really don't need to have, but we're going to have to, unfortunately, is that we have ultimately devalued the regular season and we have ultimately devalued the conference championships because they wouldn't have mattered this week. And And the fact that they did matter this week is what makes college football so great. It's what makes the regular season of college football the best regular season in all of sports, period college or professionally. Um, you know, TCU didn't have that loss. TCU had already had a win over Kansas State, and they were 12-0 and 0 in a Power 5 conference. And again, say what you will about the Big 12. They were competitive all year. I mean, there wasn't a really dominant team from top to bottom. You know, your two blue bloods in the Big 12 in Oklahoma and Texas had down years, and TCU took advantage of that. And TCU should be rewarded for that. TCU should be rewarded for the fact that they ran through a nine-game conference schedule. And, and won all of their games. Um, now, they're out of conference schedule. You know, there's more to be desired there. But, I mean, they did have a P5 win. Of course, it was over 1-11 and Colorado in their out of conference schedule. But still, TCU did what they were supposed to do. You don't punish them for doing what they were supposed to do. And then it's me- And then it's make or break on one game. No, TCU alleviated themselves from having to have the pressure of winning one game to make it in. USC did not. USC lost on the road against a quality football team, well-coached, solid quarterback. Utah, it's a hard place to play. I don't think a lot of people realize the atmosphere and how tough of a road game it is to play in Salt Lake City. But at the end of the day, like I just said, TCU alleviated themselves from having to have that do-or-die situation. And the only reason that TCU wasn't punished is for the same reason that USC was punished was because they did what they were supposed to do in the regular season. When we move to a 12-team playoff, none of this matters. None of this matters. And I'm I'm going to not try to get on a heated rant, but the 12-team playoff to me is utterly going to ruin our sport. It's going to ruin our sport. I mean, I'm still going to love it I'm still going to watch it, but it's absolutely ridiculous because you, you take everything that happened this week and it would not have mattered. I guarantee you LSU would still get in that large bid. In a twelve-team playoff, circle it all back. It's simple. TCU didn't have a loss. That's why you punish USC because they did have a loss.
1: Yeah, I was going to start out by saying that was exactly what I was thinking when I brought up the question: Is TCU earned the right to lose that game by going twelve and zero in the regular season? And it's the same to me to Ohio with Ohio State as well. Ohio State earned the right to lose to Michigan by going eleven and zero going into that game and playing the number two team in the country. And uh, and honestly. That was the Big Ten title game for the Big Ten. I mean, those are the two best teams. It wasn't even close uh, with anybody else. You could say Penn State. I think if you stick Penn State in literally any other conference, including the ACC, including uh, the Pac-12 this year, I don't think they are 10-2. And And I'm dead serious about that. I know a lot of people are are probably going to say, Pac-12 and ACC always suck. I didn't think they sucked this year. I thought there was four solid teams in the Pac-12. The ACC, at least four, maybe even more than that. Um, the Big Ten, in my opinion, was the worst conference in college football. And granted, of course, it ended up being that there's two teams from the Big Ten in the college football playoff, um, but I think both those teams are deserving based on what they did in the regular season. So it all worked out how it was supposed to. So I agree with you. Going into the 12-team playoff, I know you brought that up as well. I am very, very outspoken about how much I hate the 12-team playoff. On Twitter, I've gotten actually a couple people – Uh, friends of mine that have texted me separately saying, hey, what is your deal, bro? Like, why do you hate the the 12-team playoffs so much? And I do want to say, I actually think one big-time pro about the 12-team playoff once that comes about is conference championship week. This weekend kind of sucked compared to most other conference conference championship weeks. TCU, Kansas State, I think Matt would be right if... Kansas State came out and beat TCU by like 66-0, to like something crazy, like uh, Ohio State-Wisconsin back in 2014 before they went to the playoff. If something like that happened, it would have been interesting. Um, Obviously, Utah had a really, really good chance to beat USC given that they had already done it earlier, given that they're a much more physical team than USC is, and they had been all year. Um, Even I still think USC should have won that game. If In the 12-team playoff, in the scenario that they're talking about, Utah's in the playoff, Kansas State's in the playoff, uh, Purdue keeping it close against Michigan, that would have mattered a lot more because Purdue could have been playing for a playoff spot, even though it annoys me because Purdue is a four-loss team. It's really annoying. Utah, three-loss team. Kansas State, three-loss team. You have your chances to win in the regular season. Just win your games the way that TCU, Michigan, and Georgia had done. Um, But it made those games not as fun knowing that Georgia and Michigan, for sure, no matter what happened to them, they could have gotten blown out by LSU and by Purdue, and they both still would have made it. And uh, and TCU, honestly, after they stuck at three, even after losing their conference championship game, if they got blown out, unless it was just really, really, really bad, like if it was like 30-0, to zero, I still think TCU would have made it over Alabama or over Tennessee or over USC or whoever. Um, I think they had to get beat by like 70 or more for Alabama to be thrown in because you could look at it and say, all right, Alabama is not losing by 70 to Kansas State on a neutral field. It's not going to happen, no matter how many losses they have. Um, So I think that's one good thing about 12-team playoff, that and you get rid of a little bit of controversy, but, I I mean, I'm still a four-team guy.
0: I mean, I'm excited just to see, like, what are the rules that they set for the 12-team playoff? Like, what are the final stakes for how you get in? Are there set rules? Is it just 12-team eye tests? Is it, you know, conference champions get in? The final
1: rules that they set,
0: I'm excited to see because – then we'll actually get to see how this is going to start playing out.
1: So right now it's set up as the top six conference champions in power in the in FBS. So not FCS. That includes Sunbelt. Belt. That includes American Athletic Conference. Um, pretty much all the Group of Five as well. Top six ranked. So that could be if the Power Five conference, Pac-12, ACC, someone like that is ranked behind. The Sun Belt champion and the American conference champion, that means those two are in and whoever is behind them is out. So it gives a group of five a reason to play for a conference championship, a reason to go undefeated, besides going to play for the Peach Bowl or the Cotton Bowl this year with Tulane.
0: Is that just speculation or is that like actual statements?
1: That was actual statements about the original model they were coming up with. Okay. I don't believe that's exactly what is – I don't think it's official what's going to be out yet. I think that's what will happen though. And then the other six are at large. So it's the six conference champions, top six conference champions, um, and then the next six highest-ranked teams from for all of FBS. So it could be
0: literally anybody. I will say, you know, I'm always the advocate for the underdog. And, you know, like the – we talk about, like, the UCF national championship that they had. That was the whole weird thing where, yeah, they keep winning, they keep winning. Yeah, they need to schedule better teams, but they can only win so much with what they're given – you know, this, this is that chance for that. I understand the whole argument for everyone about the teams that don't deserve to get in. But I think there is a chance to offer uh, a halfway for both teams. The team that just keeps winning no matter what conference or schedule they have, and then also the teams that deserve to get in. I think that if they do it correctly, there can be a good fine line uh, of a halfway medium here. But if they do it incorrectly, then it can just be a disaster. So hope, hopefully it doesn't end up that way. I know Chad was all over our Instagram this week. Um, I know a lot of people were probably in the comments with him this week talking about how much Chad hates the 12-team playoff. He got a, a little rowdy in the comments there.
3: Yes. Yes, I did. And I do apologize to people who disagreed with me, but I will not change my opinion. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just – I hate it. I hate it so much. Like, please explain to me – Please explain to me why Kansas State would be a playoff team. Please explain to me why, if Purdue would have won, that 9-4 and four Purdue would have been a playoff team. They weren't ranked. They weren't ranked. We can't hardly find and agree on four teams that are worthy enough to make it now. What makes you think we need eight more? What? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Tulane doesn't need to be in the playoff. Uh, someone please stop me. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I just.
0: Well, I hope somehow Chad, uh, Chad uh, ends up loving it. <laughs>
2: Chad, I agree with you in a lot and on everything that you were saying. Here's the. I'm an I'm an anti playoff in general guy. Just bring back the BCS. The BCS wasn't really all that broken. I, uh, you would have your occasional season every now and then where you'd have three undefeated teams, but generally the computer could sit there and say, "Hey." This team is better than another one,
1: Matt. You, they played it. Th- Matt, you know Alabama would not make it this year in the BCS system, correct?
2: I'm very aware. <laughs> I'm very aware.
1: Just, just want to make sure.
2: <laughs> I'm very aware. But if, if, and, and we talked about this the other day because with your thing with the 12 team playoff is it lessens the impact uh, that games have. It it games don't matter as much. Well, games don't matter as much now as they did in the BCS format. In correct. the BCS format, you win every single game, you go to the BCS national championship. End of discussion.
1: Well, that's not totally true, though. That that I think that's the biggest difference between the 14 playoff. Because in back in say 2019, when you got undefeated Ohio State, undefeated LSU, and undefeated Clemson, then Clemson's not in. You leave Clemson out. You got to decide between Ohio State and Clemson.
3: Four is correct. Four is the right way to do it. It needs to be four and no
1: more. Matt, continue, continue your thought. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that I, I just wanted to point that out. You're good. You're good.
2: My and I under. I mean, I understand that that would happen, and then that was the whole reason why we wanted to get a playoff and whatever. So far, overall, I think I think the playoff has been good. It's been successful in in its intention. Good for it. The, let me come from the other side, though. The pros of having a 12 team playoff is you are going to generate a little bit more excitement around programs like Kansas State if they have the ability to go to a playoff game. And then you're not going to have coaches that leave a job because they say, oh, well, I have no chance at a national title. If you make the playoff, you're, you've got a chance at the national title. Theoretically, obviously, realistically, not necessarily, but theoretically, you, if you make a playoff, you have a chance at a title. And making the playoff is going to generate excitement and buzz around your program. And so you elevate those programs like Kansas State that prior to this year incoming, regardless of what they did, they weren't going to make the playoff unless they went undefeated. Unless they had a TCU-like run this year, they weren't going to the playoff. They went 9-3. So the weird thing would be that they would, by default, be a they would have a bye in the playoff system, I'm pretty sure like in the, in, in the way that the 12 team playoff is laid out. Now you would have Clemson who's not in the playoff right now. That would have a buy and you would have Kansas state or Utah. One of those two teams, uh, whoever the highest ranked, I guess it would be Utah would be the highest ranked. I'm, I'm not certain of that, but whichever of those two is highest ranked would have a buy in the 12 team playoff. And so is that, fair to USC that it lessens some of their other games, or is it fair to TCU that they went 12 and one and they don't get a buy? I mean, yeah, fairs where pigs win ribbons, but that's the it.
0: I like that. That's- that was actually really
2: funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything until Chad started laughing, but that was pretty funny.
2: I mean, but that that's the beauty of college football though, is that it doesn't matter. And, and so overall, I can see the benefit of a 12 team playoff from a competition standpoint because I think part of what a lot of people have a beef with. And now this year is a weird year where there isn't, this is the first time in the playoff era where there is no Clemson or Alabama. One of those two has been in every year. This is the first year that hasn't happened. I think that that was the intent of having a 12 team playoff is to open the, the, Board a little bit more, and you have a little bit more parity in that 5 to 12 range. And who knows, maybe a two lane sneaks up on a TCU. And you know, that that could potentially be a good game if that because that would be the 12 5 game in the 14 play or the 12 team playoff format would be two but, lane TCU. So let,
3: let me, let me, I'm sorry, but let me, let me do you one better because I, I just want to, I, I do apologize for cutting you off, Matt, but I, I just, I've been holding on to this and I just want to say this. Let's look at today, for example, and why I think the 12-team playoff is a terrible idea. Jackson Smith and Jigba sitting out a 14-team playoff. He's not going to play in the semifinal because he's leaving early to declare for the draft. So you're, you're telling me right now, and, and I'm not, not directing this at you specifically, but how is this good for college football when, if this is happening now, what's going to happen when you ask the teams who are sitting 5-12 through 12 who aren't getting those buys? If they're gonna make a run to win a national championship, why are you asking them to play a full NFL regular season schedule? Because you're well, gonna play 17, they're gonna play 17 games. Like you think Jackson Smith and Jigba is not is, is only just example one. This is going to continue to happen. This is not good for the sport of college football because you're 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 killing these kids' bodies and you're killing these kids' chances of of going to the NFL with, with this schedule. Like it's you shouldn't have to ask kids to do that. And I'm telling you, this this is good. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the first of many people to do this. So what value are we really getting out of the playoff? Because if we're not getting a full team and other other kids decide to do this, and I'm telling you, they will. How was this good?
2: Allegedly, in his in his case, there is apparently a hamstring injury that's he been that's been lingering and he's not been 100%. And so he's trying to focus on rehabbing it, in fairness to him. Um, because at, at first when I saw the news, I felt like it was kind of a crappy move. But in fairness to him, if he's not 100%, what benefit does he get out of playing in a playoff game hurt and potentially playing in – like, if he gets more hurt, it's not like he's going to benefit the team uh, by being out there gimpy. I don't think he's going to do any good. Um but to that point, Chad. I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit, but with it when we because I'm cutting off Portal Palooza. But if if you look at what's gone on today, there's been over a thousand players that have entered into the transfer portal. We're at a point now where there's not going to be anybody that is there, there's gonna be teams that are not going to be able to play because they're not able to field an eligible team. Because they're going to have too many guys in the portal, too many guys graduating, too many guys opting out, whatever it is. What benefit do they have by even continuing bowl games at this point? It, do you just play a regular season and call it what it is, and maybe you go to the NFL, maybe you don't? Uh, I think that the 12-team playoff gives teams that opportunity. It takes out the pressure, and maybe there will be some low-level bowl games that still exist uh, outside of it for teams that want to have like a group of five game like UTSA and uh, – Roy, that's going to be a really good bowl game this year. Uh, but, you know, that that's a game that would be out of the 12-team playoff that those kids have a reason to play for.
1: Yeah, I'll say, honestly, with the postseason, um, my one knock on the 12-team playoff is that it pretty much completely gets rid of bowl season, like Matt was saying. At least with the more major bowls, like the Peach Bowls, the New Year's Six games, stuff like that. Um, you're going to have your rotation in the final four, or you might just have a set final four. I'm not exactly how they're going to. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to do that part yet. I've heard that maybe for either the first or second round, they're going to use some more minor bowls like the Citrus Bowls and Outbacks, and maybe even use like some of the Hawaii Bowls and New Orleans Bowls and stuff like that. Um, which I wouldn't like as much. I'd prefer them to do home and home, or not home and home, just home field games. Uh, on campus. I think that would be a big pro of doing a 12-team playoff also. Um, and give the teams that get the buys an advantage when they could play a second-round game at their home field. But either way, losing games like the New Year's Six games, losing the conference tie-ins, the historical tradition that goes along with a lot of these games, I think is really bad for college football. That is my biggest knock with the 12-team playoff outside of the regular season. That The fact that A team like Kansas State or Utah can go and lose three games, turn around, end up playing in their conference championship, and then win, and then compete for a national championship. And like, I mean, TCU or Tennessee and Alabama this year, if not for a 14-team playoff and not a 12-team playoff, then the LSU-Alabama game pretty much doesn't matter. The Tennessee Alabama game this year pretty much doesn't matter. The Tennessee Georgia game this year pretty much doesn't matter. Besides the fact that if you're a Georgia fan, you want to see him beat Tennessee. If you're a Tennessee fan, you want to see him beat Alabama. And uh, and same goes with the fact that Tennessee lost to South Carolina at South Carolina by forty points. That wouldn't have mattered at all. So that's that's my big knock with it. That's that's what I'm going to hate when it changes.
3: That's one thing that I agree with. With, um, but I will say, if I have to say one positive thing about it. I will say this um, and I'm going to use Tom Herman going to Florida Atlantic as an example. I think if anything that I can say this positive is that the G the G five programs do get a better benefit because I think if you're Florida Atlantic and you're moving to the American conference, you can go get a guy like Tom Herman who they just hired by the way, good hire, solid hire for them. And, and you might can convince him to stay because if you want to be honest about it, the American Conference is going to be probably your number one look-to out of the G5 conferences to have the highest-ranked team. Now, I understand that Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are leaving the American Conference, and that hurts it. But you still have Memphis. You still have, um, you still have East Carolina with the possibility. You still have other programs like Tulane. They're going to be in the New Year's Six this year. USF, if they can get back on track. I mean, it gives these these teams opportunities to to get coaches like Tom Herman and possibly keep them long term. Because if Tom Herman just sits down in Boca Raton, gets paid two, three million dollars a year, kills it, wins the American every year. He's in the playoff. He's the highest ranked group of five team. So, I mean, if I have to say one thing that's positive about it, I think that's the only thing I can I can garner up. Other than that, I just can't do it.
2: Yeah, Chad. That's kind of what I meant by it elevates those lower-level programs. And uh, you brought up coaching hires. There's no bigger coaching hire that happened this weekend that was announced than the buzz around Deion Sanders, Coach Prime in Boulder, Colorado. The Buffs resurgence. Man, what do you? What, I'm curious to get your take on what you think Dion is going to do in Boulder, Colorado.
1: Well, I think the biggest hire of this week is definitely Brent Key, uh, for Georgia Tech. Not not Deion Sanders. So let's get it right. He's gonna dominate Georgia. Let's let's not forget that. But for Deion, um, honestly, I I thought coming out he ended up with a bigger job. Um, I thought Auburn would go for him. I thought Georgia Tech would go for him. Uh of course, I don't know if you'd say Georgia Tech is a better job than Colorado right now. But Colorado, it, it's really interesting to me because it doesn't really make sense for him to go there. But then you see like everything he's already doing there, what he's doing, talking to the players, showing off the campus already. I, I think he's going to recruit really well there. You can just take all his players from
0: Jackson State.
1: Well, yeah, well, and I'll get <laughs> to that. But so, I mean, he's already he's, – he's starting to recruit already. He's got a five-star wide receiver that's coming in there uh, that he got literally like the day after he got signed to that job or that it came out that he was officially taking that job. Um, but a lot of people I know that have been to Colorado have said the campus is just incredible. Um, it'd be a really, really easy place to recruit to, given if he had the right resources in terms of money. Which, based on what their athletic director said in the post game or the first press conference that Dion had, it sounds like that's coming in. Uh, Apparently, nil is just flowing into the program now that Dion's there, which is really good for Colorado. Um, I will say, watching his first couple interviews, I don't really like how he's starting off with the old players. I I think the him bringing his son in there, having his son stand up and saying, "This is my quarterback," and uh, and and before they even get to practice or even show off anything that they've ever worked on or any of the players there have ever done, um, he's coming in here and saying, "Like this is the quarterback. If um, you might as well just go ahead and throw your name in the transfer portal cause, because because uh, this is a terrible team. You guys went one and eleven last year. This is not a program that uh, deserves any kind of credit." Uh, I'm I'm bringing a bag with me, and it's uh, it's Louis, like Louis Vuitton. Says that's what he said to the old players. I'm like, all right, I, you know, I get they sucked, man, and, and and they are, you know, they're not the most talented team in the country, but you at least gotta you you gotta use some of these guys for next year. You can't just bring in an entire transfer portal class and say screw it. So I I don't know. I, did, I could see it going either way. I think he's going to end up winning ten games there at some point, just because he's going to bring in such good players, but. He is, he is a gimmicky coach. We'll see what happens.
3: Yeah, I, I'm—I think without a doubt that Dion is probably the biggest splash hire out of anybody in this entire coaching carousel. Humongous. I mean, when Colorado fired Carl Dorrell um, after an 0-5 start, I kind of—I st- kind of threw some names out there, you know, just amongst, you know, our group chat, not like, you know, out into the world. Like I kind of thought, you know, hey, maybe Brian Harson, you know, maybe Dan Mullen. And I thought like for them, like, hey, that's a great hire. You get somebody like Brian Harson or Dan Mullen, like at least they'll be competitive. You know, if, if Colorado gets the seven and five or eight and four, then hey, great for them. Um, but I think a lot of times people forget because it's just been so long that Colorado was a national power in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, Colorado has a split national championship in 1991 that they shared with Georgia Tech. Colorado was a really, really good program for a large part of, of that portion of of history. Um, and Deion Sanders is, is the best coach that I've seen take the reins there in my lifetime. I've never seen Colorado good. Um, except for the one year that they went 10-4 and four and went to the Pac-12 championship under Mike Montgomery, but that's been, that's what, 2014, 15? That's been so long. I mean, Colorado just hasn't been who they were in the 90s, and Dion is absolutely that guy to take them there. Um, dion has got swag. Dion has proven that he has the ability to recruit, that he has the ability to connect with his players, that he has the ability to actually develop players and develop talent. Now, granted, this was in the FCS, and going from the SWAC of the FBS to a Power 5 conference in the FBS, it's a whole lot different. And I think, though, if Dion was going to step into a conference where he could make an immediate turnaround in the transfer portal and on the recruiting trail right away, it's definitely the Pac-12 is going to be the easiest place to do it. Look, UCLA and USC are leaving. Okay, you still got to compete with Oregon and Washington. Arizona State's a sleeping giant, but they can't seem to ever get it right. Utah's going to be there, but Utah's not going to be able to get the athletes that Dion can recruit. And frankly, I think Boulder, Boulder's a known party school. Boulder's a beautiful town. It shouldn't be hard to sell to. I was watching those same videos that you guys were. Their facilities are awesome. I never thought the Colorado football was as terrible as they have been consistently for so long that they would have had those types of facilities, but this is a huge hire. Like, I never would have thought that Dion would leave for this job, for, for Colorado, and it's huge. Now, I, I agree with Witt. I don't think that it's a good idea for him to bring his kid in and say, this is my quarterback, and I watched those videos, and he said, we coming. Okay, I'm glad you're coming, but I think he does need to dial it back a little bit. Change the culture, that's great. Get a winning culture instilled, that's fantastic. But don't go in there, man, and and try to and weed your team out right away. You need to recruit those kids. You need to win those kids over. And just because your name is Deion Sanders, doesn't mean you're gonna do that immediately. Um, so I think you could dial that back a little bit, but you know, Matt, you asked the question. I'm I'm interested to hear hear your take as well. Cause I mean, I, I'm with Wit. This is this is a massive hire for Colorado. It feels like nineteen ninety one all over again. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there hasn't been this much much excitement in Boulder, Colorado, since they legalized weed like seven years ago. <laughs> um, like, the, 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 this is the thing that they, they really got their, their 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 fancy tickled on this one. Um, look, I, I think it's a good hire. I do. Um, you could put, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, just in passing when I was talking to somebody because they didn't think that Dion would be a good hire. Remember where, but I said you could put Deion Sanders at any FBS program in the country that has moderately decent facilities, and they're going to be front page news for a while, and he's gonna have players that want to come play for him. Know that because I watched the video last night, the one of him talk, going in there talking to the team. And I feel like I took it a little bit differently. The way that I took it was you're either going to stay here and you're going to compete for your job, and if you don't want to do that, enter the portal. That's the way that I took it. And I took it as like this is a tone-setting meeting. Like, look, I'm bringing guys, and I'm going to bring guys in here. And if you want to be part of a program and a culture where iron sharpens iron, then stay here, compete, be the depth, because be that next man up. We're going to have a next man up mentality go. Do the easy thing and leave. Go ahead and, and go somewhere else. I don't want any any culture cancers. Now, I have all ideas. Travis Hunter's coming with him. And I, Travis Hunter kind of said on a live video that he was going, he was like, I'm coming, coach. Um, the only thing that worries me, and, and this is not a knock on Deion Sanders. He just went undefeated at Jackson State but you're playing against a bunch of other SWAC teams that don't have near the talent that he's brought into Jackson State. You're going into the Pac-12 where you're going to be competing with programs like USC and Utah and Washington and Oregon on a year-to-year basis. Obviously, USC and UCLA are going to be leaving and going to the Big Ten, but... Those are in, in in the in the right now, those teams are there in the Pac-12. Can Deion Sanders be a game managing development developer of talent as a head football coach in the in in the Division I football? I think that's yet to be seen. If he is that, then they I, I do think it's a great hire for Colorado because if if nothing, he gives a shot of adrenaline, a massive shot of adrenaline to a fan base that's probably been pretty uninspired by the football they've seen recently. They're at least going to funnel money in there. He's going to bring players in. And if he assembles a staff that has any bit of development ability, they're going to be a scary force in the next few years. That's why I thought Dion to Tech would have been great. That's why I thought Dion to Auburn would have been a a massive hire because it didn't matter where he was going. He's going to bring guys because they're in it for the culture. And I think that that's the message that's going to stand from him at Jackson state is it's bigger than Dion. He's still doing it for a bigger purpose. And part of his press conference was, is that he was like, there's not as many people that look like me to get this opportunity. So I'm doing it for them too. He's still bringing that message of it. It's bigger than him. It's more than football. And I believe Dion and I I want to see him do well. And uh, I'm, I'm excited, man. I think that it's a really good hire for Colorado.
3: I will say I will say one thing to add, and I and I agree fully um, on most of what you just said. Like I, I believe Dion. I believe Dion is a man of faith and I respect that and I appreciate that he is true to himself and that he's an honest man and he's straightforward and I and I believe we need more of that and I fully respect him as a human being and I like him. I, I wanna see him be successful. As a Florida fan, I could care less about the fact that he's a Florida State guy. I like Deion Sanders. There's no reason you shouldn't like Deion Sanders. But the one thing that I think the Colorado fan base needs to get their minds set on is what you just said. Utah, Washington, Oregon, USC, and UCLA are already firmly established. Lower your expectations in Boulder for year one. Just a little bit. Just, just a little bit. Lower your expectations. Set your bar to be 7-5, and 8-4, and four, and maybe you win your bowl game, and you're 9-4 and four in Dion's first year. That would be huge. But just to the people of Boulder, don't set yourself up with the idea that you're going to compete and go to the Pac-12 championship next year. He's going to bring guys. He is. That recruiting class is going to flip completely. They're going to win the portal probably more than anybody in the FBS will. Probably more, especially than anybody in the Pac-12. I could see him out recruiting Lincoln Riley in the portal. But just for year one, lower your expectations if you're a Colorado fan. Don't, don't aim for the stars in year one because you have to be realistic. It, 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 they haven't been good for a long time. One man's not going to change the entirety of that program in one year. Can't do it. Look at Billy Napier. Look at Josh Heupel. Look at Kirby Smart's first year. Takes time. It, it takes time. And at Colorado, it may take longer than it takes the three names I just named.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Pac-12 is going to be the wild, wild west uh, coming up, especially when USC and UCLA take off to the Big Ten. But, uh, guys, let's go ahead and move on to our Pour One Out, Cut Them Off segment. Matt, are you pouring one out for?
2: I am pouring one out for back-to-back Nagurski Award winner Will Anderson. It was just announced that Will Anderson. It was announced the Nagurski Award winner. Uh, that is the best defensive player in the country. A lot of people were saying, "Yeah, you know, Will Anderson had a down year." Uh, I think that he had in some games not as big of stats, but a lot of games that he was getting double covered and triple teamed on on block coverages. They offenses were scheming their games around number thirty-one. Uh, obviously. All of the accomplishments that he's had, he was a game changer on the defensive side of the ball. I'm scared to know how many games we're going to lose because we don't have that guy on that side of the field anymore on that side of the ball next year. But uh, got to pour one out for Will Anderson. I've, I've poured one out for Bryce Young. But tonight being announced defensive player of the year uh, for the second year in a row, Nagurski award winner, Will Anderson. Heck of a career. Can't wait to see what you do in the pros, my guy, because I know you're definitely going to listen to this. Uh but I am cutting off Portal Palooza. And I alluded to this earlier. You have a 1,000 players that entered into the transfer portal just day one. And I'm not going to lie. I've got a little bit of a problem with this. Um, in the age of NIL, I understand if you're a young kid and you want to go and you're just trying to make your money early on, uh, you're going to go to the program who gives you opportunity and a Roll of money. The issue with it is this: um, we are now in a in a time period where college football is no longer college football. Uh, we talked about the twelve team playoff earlier and how that college football is broken. I'd say that college football already is broken because you we're at a point now where it doesn't matter where you commit to, where you sign with. All that matters is is who's paying you the most money in NIL. And I'm not blaming the players for that. I mean, absolutely, go get your money. But this has changed college football forever. Um, And you, I mean, you just don't see the likes of guys that are entering the transfer portal enter it like they are this year. Uh, DJ Uyunglelelelelelelelele whatever his last name is, he's terrible, Uh, and he's the highest rated transfer quarterback. So interesting that interesting thing there. But you know, whatever. Cut it off. I I don't love this era of transfer portal that we're in, and uh, so you know, be it. I'm gonna have to learn to uh, to adapt to what we've got now. But I personally do not love what we've got going on with the transfer portal. Chad, who are you pouring one out for this week?
3: So I am gonna pour one out for football every day because we have officially reached that wonderful time of the year and. Unlike a lot of people in the college football world, I love bowl games. I don't care who's playing. I don't care what channel they're on. I don't care what their records are. There's football on every day. Did you know that on Friday, December 16th, that's about a week and a half from now, that we get to watch UAB play Miami of Ohio at 1130 in the morning on a Friday? There's college football on at odd times, random days of the week. But it's every day. It's every day. There's going to be from that Friday all the way up until Christmas Eve in the Hawaii Bowl, my favorite Christmas Eve tradition, 8 a.m., 8 p.m., excuse me, kickoff in Honolulu. It's wonderful. It is on every day, including the NFL. I mean, including the NFL. There's football on every day during bowl season. And you know what? It is, it's the greatest thing ever. It, I, I absolutely love it. Like Christmas and New Year's and bowl season. It's just an end-of-the-year tradition. And again, listen, it may not be for you to turn on the TV on a Tuesday at 3.30 and watch Eastern Michigan and San Jose State play a game in Boise, Idaho. But I tell you what, son, it's dang sure for me, and I love it because it's football every single day. And we love football. Because we're not casuals. And I'm cutting two things off tonight. Number one, I'm cutting off 172. 172 is more than a number. It's the amount of dollars that the sad life New York Mets just spent in the past two seasons to pay two pitchers over the age of 38. Max Scherzer will be 39 in February. Justin Verlander will be 41 in June, these guys are Hall of Fame pitchers. I have nothing but respect for them and their careers. And they're fun to watch. They're amazing, amazing athletes. But I, but they are 38 and 40 years old. They'll be 39 and 41 at the beginning of the season or midway through the season before the All-Star break. And you have them both for two years left on a contract at 40 million a piece. $172 million. $172 million on two players that are 40. When the Atlanta Braves have basically their entire young core locked up for less than about $80 million combined just for next year to pay all the guys that we have to pay in these young cats, man. God, the Mets just I wish I could say I felt bad for the Mets, but I don't, because it's just idiocy. It's a franchise run by idiots, and you know what? The Mets suck. So have fun with that $172 million. And the second thing that I'm cutting off is woodchippers. I didn't get a chance to cut this off last week when we were talking about our Statesboro trip, but I'm going to do it this week because I've been bitter about it for a week and a half now. Um When you sleep in a hotel room with my gracious co-host, Whit Barfield, you might as well crank up a wood chipper at max volume at 4 o'clock in the morning because he's going to snore and keep you up till the crack of dawn. So, cutting off wood chippers because Whit Barfield is one, and I'm still tired because I had to listen to Whit snore 10 feet away from me in a hotel room for two consecutive nights.
0: To you, Whit. I don't think I've ever heard anybody fall asleep faster and start snoring faster than we did that
1: night. Yeah, uh, me and Matt's good friend Rob Pennington still won't answer my text messages after the old mess trip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was
1: he was so, not I'll, happy I'll, with me. So I don't know how he got stuck sleeping next to me and, and we had five five grown men in one hotel room with two with two queen beds and uh and that was a absolutely terrible idea.
2: I remember Rob was like, "Matt, I'm switching with you. I'm sleeping on the air mattress. And I was like, nope, no, no, you're not. <laughs> no, no, you're not. I'm 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 paying to sleep on the air mattress. That's I'm sleeping on this air mattress. Honestly, I'll say this when we went to Tuscaloosa recently,
1: I don't even remember you snoring. So I'm telling you, on couches, I'm fine. It's hotel beds. <laughs> I don't know why. Hotel <laughs> beds, I'm so much worse. And, and like in my own bed, too. But if I pass it on the couch, I'm fine. So yeah, so for my poor one out, I'm going to be pouring one out for who else but Stetson Bennett, the greatest college football quarterback of all time, or soon to be known as at least. Uh, Stetson Bennett just today was recognized uh, as a Heisman Trophy finalist to go along with Caleb Williams, who is more than likely going to win it, the USC quarterback, uh, transferred from Oklahoma last year with Lincoln Riley um cj stroud ohio state's quarterbacks is going to be a heisman finalist as well i say he has a chance i, don't, I, I still don't think he's going to win it over caleb williams and then max Duggan, tcu's quarterback well deserved had an incredible season uh after he's been the starter there for three years and really didn't do much until sunny Dykes came around and he's been phenomenal this year so um i i think it's all well deserved i know a lot of people are throwing a lot of hate towards all stetson uh saying there's there's other players who might have deserved it and I'm not going to argue there's not. I'd say Hendon Hooker, uh, although he had the injuries. He, he probably deserved to be there. Blake Quorum as well. Um, but with the injuries, I mean, I guess people took him out, and there might have been some others, maybe a Drake May or something like that. But I think, end of the day, they just wanted to stick the quarterback for the number one team in the country, undefeated Georgia, uh, in the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So it's Georgia's first Heisman Trophy finalist since 1992. Garrison Hurst was the last one uh, running back. And then before that, it was Herschel Walker. So this is uh, this is this is a big one for the dogs. Even though it is kind of more of a, he's probably going to end up fourth in voting out of the <laughs> four, uh, which is completely fine with me because now I get to make fun of people on Twitter and uh, make everybody mad in our group message talking about Stetson Bennett being a Heisman finalist. But uh, but I will be. I'm totally okay with it. So pouring out for Stetson, good for you, pal. And uh, and moving on to the cut him off. I'm cutting off my life. <laughs> yeah my my life is terrible. Obviously, you already heard my snoring issues. That's that's number 1. Um also, I have been pretty much almost brothers with my good friend Ryan for since 5th grade. I mean, we we have been almost inseparable. I mean, we're we're pals. We've done everything together. Um the one the one argument me and him constantly have goes back to The fact that he's a Big Ten fan, he went to Ohio State, he grew up in Ohio before he moved here in fifth grade, Um, and uh, he's a very biased Big Ten fan. And I, of course, being from the good old South, am an SEC football fan, I'm a Georgia fan as well. Um, In the, what is it, 15 or so years I've known Ryan, well, Ohio State and Georgia have never played each other. Um, or really even come that close to playing each other. And now the first time ever that I live with that dude. Uh, Georgia and Ohio State play each other in the Peach Bowl. In the playoff, of all else. Uh, thank God it's not the national championship, because I think I'd probably murder the kid. Uh, so far, we're, we're through one day, and we're both still alive. Uh, we came to an agreement on Sunday. We watched the selection show together. And, uh, and we said, all right, we'll be cordial It'll be fine. We're not gonna throw jokes at each other. It's been day one. We've already thrown some some stuff at each other. It hasn't been too bad. It's like I said. We're still living. Um, we went shopping together today. We went to Publix oh. and bought some groceries. Not like dads.
0: We.
1: So you went to Publix. So we. So we survived a car ride together. Um, but there is. A long time before that game comes about. He's already got tickets. Him and his girlfriend are going. His parents are coming down. So they're all going to be hanging out in my apartment at some point that weekend. Uh, And so I I will be miserable. Plus, I get my wisdom teeth out next weekend. And I'm just not excited for it. I hate surgeries. And I I hate doctor's offices in general. And it's going to cost me an arm and a leg to get my dang teeth pulled out. So my my life is just awful. Um, And we'll keep it at that for now. Uh, Keys. Who you part went out for?
0: All right, so we've talked about it a lot already this episode, uh, more than I anticipated, so I'm not going to go on a lengthy discussion here. Uh, the transfer portal in college football has changed this year. For the first year, there is now windows of opportunity for the transfer portal from December 5th to January 18th, and then the second is from May 1st to May 15th, um, with exceptions for like graduate transfers and head coaching changes, things like that. Uh, there's already been in the first few days of this first period, there's already been a thousand players into the portal, like Matt said. I'm not sure whether to pour one out for this or cut one off for this because I know it used to be a big pain in the butt for all these players to try to transfer because they used to lose a year of eligibility and all this stuff. Now there's a system in place where they can they can submit their name to the portal and they don't use, they don't lose a year of eligibility. But also, now we get just everyone and their mother transferring. Every coach, every player is just everywhere. It's a carousel all around. So I'm not really sure. Like I mean, I know there's benefits, and I know there's there's faults to it, but I don't know. I mean, this is kind of my collective thought for this week. Every time I would open Instagram, Twitter, anything, ESPN, everybody's just saying, oh, so-and-so is transferring, so-and-so is entering the portal, so-and-so is entering the portal. This coach is there, this player is there. It's just, it's been the only news I've seen this week other than today, seeing Witt's favorite player of all time, Seth and Bennett, being in the Heisman finalist, just coming fourth place. Uh, and then Dion, that's like the only news I've seen this week. So I don't know if I'm pouring one out or cutting one off. I guess both,
1: but it's it's the only thing that's there right now. It's the biggest news. Well, Keys, I'm just going to say, I, I think Stetson will finish at least third, but the, the, <laughs> with, for the, with the transfer portal stuff, honestly, I'm curious to see how many of these guys are just going into the transfer portal to see how much they can get in NIL from other schools. Um, And then when they find out, maybe I'm not Jordan Addison who won the wide receiver of the year Blink LaHoff award last year, and then got an NIL money to go to USC. Maybe, maybe I am just a third string wide receiver at, at UMass. Then you go back to UMass and you play at UMass, even though you put your name in the transfer portal. Um, I'm hoping this season, is the one year we had this issue where we have so many guys going to the transfer portal just to see what they could get money-wise or or see if a Georgia or Alabama will pick them up, somebody that might have won a national championship and put a ring on their finger. Um, obviously not just those two schools. But well, speaking of what, other schools, what? let's
0: go. Let's go with our school, Georgia Southern. Yeah, this something that'll really put a ring on your finger. We've talked about this in in previous episodes uh, when Georgia Southern switched up their offense. You know, we haven't talked about Georgia Southern at all today, so I'll throw it in there for Great. a couple of minutes. When Georgia Southern opened up their offense, isn't more of an air raid type offense? They've opened up their doors to, uh, you know, some of these transfer quarterbacks. I know, I, I don't know how real this is. You know, one name that was floating around was Brock Vandegrift from Georgia transferring to Georgia Southern. I know he wanted to stay local. I don't know how real it is that he actually goes there, but teams like Georgia Southern now have a better opportunity to get these ACC, SEC, big 10, whatever transfer quarterbacks in their doors. I mean, with the whole transfer portal opens that specifically for Georgia Southern though, it's mostly the that changed. but I'm excited personally for the transfer portal for, for my team because I get to see maybe some potentially good players going there under Clay Helton's offense, so I don't know. I'm excited in general. It's been a good week for me.
3: Wait, I just have a question for you. Shoot, what is the Blahinquahoff Bl- Trophy?
1: <laughs> Isn't it called the Blenklohoff? Belenikoff. <laughs> <Blink-la-hoff. laughs> <laughs> That's why I called it the Wide Receiver of the Year Award at first. <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to try and pronounce that. <laughs> Belinklohoff, the B, the BK. Get the BK trophy.
3: I've Been sitting here holding that for five minutes going, I'm <laughs> waiting for Geys to stop
1: talking. So what the hell that the, is. The Balinklahoff. Balintnikov. Balentnikoff. Balitnikov. Jesus. That's- yeah, we'll see if Stetson wins the Max Hal <laughs> later on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: the <laughs> Maxwell House yeah. Award.
1: Yeah. Caleb Williams more than likely will win the Heisman.
3: <laughs> this is all great content here. Also, what a, what a save by throwing the fact that Ryan's girlfriend was coming down after talking about your shopping spree at Publix <laughs> together.
2: <laughs> Who better to get your college
1: football takes from th- than that guy?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, guys. We got one game to pick this week. Biggest game of the entire season. Number one rivalry in college football. It's America's game. Army-Navy. navy CBS, good to hear Gary Danielson's voice one more time this season. Great, Matt, who you got?
2: You know, this game is uh, the rivalry game that we all look forward to every year. Conference Championship Week is over. Now it's the war for America. Which I'm actually like 90% sure that Air Force actually won the Commander's Trophy this year. So good for good for Air Force. Um Look, I I don't think any either team has a distinct advantage in this game, other than the fact that uh, I taught three students that went to Army. So for that reason, and the fact that our good friend of the podcast Jeff Monken is the head coach at Army, we gonna go Army beat Navy. Um, you know, it's it's one of those games. Four and seven Navy and five and six Army really gets the juices flowing. <laughs> Go Army, beat Navy.
3: Yeah, this is this is traditionally probably the hardest game to pick uh, in college football all year. Look forward to it all year. This game is completely deserving of getting a week to itself every year because this game is really more about football <clears throat> and it's it's about. It's more about the service that these young men and women at these universities is going to provide when when their four years is up and they're going to be officers and and serving our country. And we have to be thankful for that. Um, But from the football side of it, (laughs) Matt's right. I mean, looking at this statistically, um, it's really hard to, to try to find any real differences. I mean, You know, Army's five and six, Navy's four and seven. All the bowl slots have already been filled, so even if Army goes six and six, they're not going to a bowl game. Um, Army's had a down year this year, Um, but I think if I have to go with one stat that I think would lead or lean towards one way or or the other, is Army averages three hundred eighty-five yards a game. Navy gives up three hundred fifty-six yards a game. And to counter that, Navy only gets 330 yards a game. They both run triple option offenses. They're both physical up front, wear and tear on the ground. I'm going to go with Army just because the statistics say that Army runs the ball for more yards, and that's what Army and Navy do. They run the ball for yards. So go Army, beat Navy. But the real winner of this game is always is America. Wit.
1: So I'm looking at some stats right now. Surprisingly, Army has the number two rushing offense in the country this year. Only Navy option. Let me finish.
0: <laughs> Navy
1: has the number five rushing offense in the country this year. Four versus five keeps it close. Obviously, these teams don't even throw the ball. They do nothing but run. It's like saying Mike Leach has one of the best passing offenses in the country. Well, when you throw the ball 84 times, of course you're going to have the best passing offense in the country. Uh, What the biggest difference for me is looking at Army's rush defense, they are ranked 115th in rushing defense out of all of the FBS football teams. Navy is ranked 4th in rushing defense. So... To me, that says Army's got a terrible defense. They're not physical. They're weak. Not the actual Army, but the football team. And uh, and the Navy is is the opposite of that. Uh, granted, both teams are terrible. Uh, They're very boring to watch this year. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to watch Army-Navy. Thank the Lord. This game is always good, regardless how good these teams are, regardless of... Anything else that goes into this, whether they're going to make a bowl game or not, they come out to play. There's a lot of hate here, um, and uh, but for me, I think Navy will probably win the game. Um, I'm not honestly not even sure what the spread is. I don't even think there is one to be honest. There's not actually. It's a pick'em. So I'd say Navy is probably the better team. But my good buddy Zach Zayler, he went to Army. Uh, he is currently in the Army. And uh, he's been one of my best friends for years and years and years. So I have told him I will never, ever, ever in my entire life pick against Army in the Army versus Navy game. So I have to contractually pick Army in this game. Um, So I'm going to say Army by 84 points. So go Army beat Navy.
3: Keys, pick one for America. Just throw a pick out there for this game.
0: All right, for America, in the toilet bowl, no disrespect to any branches of the military. I was looking into this game as well. I was looking at the schedules. These teams both played absolute garbage schedules this year. They didn't have any good wins. I'm going to give it to Army. It's super close. These teams will probably play a great football game against each other, but if they played anybody else, it'd be a garbage time game. Uh, I'm going Army to beat Navy in a
1: close game. 78% Seventy eight percent of the public bet is on Army. The line is actually four and a half. I don't know why I missed that originally.
3: ESPN said even.
0: Yeah, it was like forty eight to fifty one point five or something. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you we got to you've got to pick it though. I mean, it's Army Navy. You can't.
1: You yeah, can't not. I mean, either way, I mean, who who's the favorite? Army, four Army, Army by Army. one point five. percent That doesn't make any sense. Look, I mean, these stats have got to be wrong. There's no way. If 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 Navy actually has the fourth best rush defense in the country, they're they're giving up eighty five rushing yards a game.
3: Yeah, Army gives up one hundred ninety
1: three. Yeah, that's yeah they give them almost two hundred yards a game. They're sixth Army, in passing offense. They must not play any teams that can throw the ball. They play nobody. Uh,
3: Army Army has also won their last two games, and Navy. And Now, granted, Army only lost to Troy and Air Force by a combined seven points. Navy, which uh, Navy's been competitive, too. They beat UCF, but they only lost to Notre Dame by three, and they only lost to Cincinnati by ten. So I I don't know. I, I went with Army. <laughs> I mean, I don't know a no way to lean.
1: Like, Army, t- Army took UTSA to overtime army's got a better logo and a cooler mascot name i mean that's that's what else do you need
3: and Britt lee
1: oh yeah for a year <laughs> did he play an army i guess he did
3: yeah see that's the thing dude is army and matt i'm actually so proud that you knew air force won the commander chief's trophy i'm ecstatic that you knew that
0: chad's trophy of the week
3: oh it's always my it was, yeah i mean this is the only time
0: it matters Thank you guys so much for tuning into Rowdy Southern Saturday. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Music and follow our social media at RowdyPod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.